Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. The earth will soon dissolve like snow. That's appropriate for this uh, Sunday morning. Thank you for being here. We really didn't know what to expect, of course, and it's always hard to make those decisions about whether we should have service or should not have service. And obviously different churches did different things, but we chose to uh, have this one service, so we are grateful for you being here. Uh, We could only do it, of course, because uh, Brandon Stukesbury came up here on at least three occasions this week that I'm aware of uh, to work on our parking lot. So we thank uh, Brandon Stukesbury for doing that uh, of his own... uh, you can clap if you want to, yeah. Uh, uh, he, was, uh, he was gracious in doing that, uh, so we appreciate that. We wouldn't be able to meet if he had not done that. So thank you, and thank you for being here. Uh, we will continue on our, our series this morning on our church mission statement, and we are talking today, in essence, about evangelism, which, of course, is not a great word to start a sermon or a service with. In fact, it sort of turns people off, to be quite honest with you, because it's one of those things that we know we ought to do, and we've heard it before. It's not a, it's not a part of the Christian life that I really have to explain to you that is necessary. We know it is, and yet we struggle with it if we do it at all. Sometimes we even try to rationalize, knowing that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so we rationalize and we say things like, well, I don't mind praying for other people. There's no harm in that, of course. And it doesn't take a lot of courage to do that. So I'll pray for people who do not know the Lord that they might be saved. Or I might uh, give money. Or I might uh, encourage others to do it, but yet I'm still not involved in it myself. Or maybe we do good deeds. We don't do a good job saying things with our lips, the spoken word, but we do good things for people and rationalize that we are showing the love of God by doing such things. And indeed we are, and there is merit to those things. But as we said a couple of weeks ago, that does not negate the, uh, the uh, obligation we have to share with our lips. We are willing as a church and as a people to send missionaries out all over the world and give vast sums of money to do that. We have, as you should know, the cooperative program, that is the Southern Baptist emphasis on missions whereby we pool the resources of churches all across our convention so that we can send missionaries and we give to that as a church 10% of everything that comes in. Every general dollar that comes in that's not designated for something else, 10% of that goes to the cooperative program, which means we are investing some $150,000 per year from this church to send missionaries out all over the world. And that doesn't even include the two annual offerings we take at Christmas and Easter. But did you know that the largest missionary field in the world, or at least the top three, India, China, and North America, 
North America is one of the largest mission fields in all of the world. And yet we struggle because we wrongly assume that everyone's heard the gospel and everyone's had a chance. We also know that people are moving into our country on a regular basis. The world is indeed coming to us, and we have a responsibility, whether we're going out around the world or the world's coming to us, to share the word. That's what we're talking about this morning, sharing the word. Now, obviously, for that to occur, we must spend time with people. We must spend time with people outside the church in meaningful relationships. We have to get to know them. We need to love them enough to care about their spiritual condition. And then we need to invite them to church. And when they come, we need to welcome them and let them see us praising God. I don't mean faking it. I don't mean doing it for that reason. But I mean when they come to church after our invitation, will they see us joyfully praising God? Have you ever thought about the fact that how you worship in church could actually be evangelistic? That is, it could point someone to faith in Christ. Well, let's look at Mark chapter 4. We're going to split this up in the sense that we're not going to read all the verses. We're looking at verses 1 through 9, and then we'll drop down to the explanation of the parable in verses 13 through 20 as we think this morning about sharing the word. This is Jesus talking, and it is in the form of a parable. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat and uh, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teachings he said to them, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away." Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then drop down to verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. 
Now, the first thing we need to notice this morning is that sharing the word is natural for Christians. I mean, this is the natural thing for us to do. We really shouldn't need sermons about it or encouragements toward it. It ought to be the natural thing that we do. Again, we've been talking about our mission statement, and we began two weeks ago with that major statement that we exist. Our purpose as a church is to proclaim God's word to make and mature believers. Again, it's on the inside of your bulletin if you don't know what it is. And then underneath that, we have three action statements, three prongs that are there to help us understand how we are to go about achieving our mission statement. And last week, we talked about teaching people to live. Today, we're talking about the second of those three statements, and that is leading people to share. Again, as you notice, this is the evangelistic element of the mission statement. We intend to make believers. Again, we know that we can't do that. The Spirit does it through us. But we are to make disciples. We are to make believers by sharing the Word of God with a view to leading them to faith in Christ. As a body, as a church, that is a large part of our mission. Now, we know it's natural for Christians to do this from our parable, especially in verse 3. He begins the parable by saying in the ESV, a sower went out to sow. Now, some of your translations may use the word farmer there, a farmer went out to sow. But the root word is the same for sower and sow, so I like the translation of a sower better because it is more refined. That is, a farmer does many different things. Sowing is a part of the job of your farmer, but it is not his entire job. I mean, he does other things like harvesting and weeding and spraying. But the task of the sower is one thing. That is, a sower sows. It is natural. That is what we expect him to do. You expect a preacher to preach. You expect a teacher to teach. You expect a plumber to plumb. And you expect a sower to sow. If he does not sow any seed, then he is not rightly called a sower. But just as it is natural for a sower to sow, it is natural for a Christian to share the word. And it's natural because this is something that ought to flow from within. It's like when Jesus talked about on one occasion, he says that if you believe in me, out of your heart or out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. We've all experienced something exciting happening to us, and we can't hardly contain ourselves. The exciting news we received, the the accomplishment that we achieved, we've got to share with someone else, and our joy is not complete until we do share it with someone else. And the same should be true of our faith in Christ. It should so change us and affect us that it is natural for us to share with others and we're not satisfied unless we are consistently telling others about who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. But not only does it flow from within, we can also expect that as we share the word, we are going to face foes from without. In other words, not everyone is going to be excited about the fact that you want to tell them about Jesus. There is much debate in our world today over the idea that uh, evangelical Christians 
are intent on sharing their faith with a view toward people coming to faith in Christ. In doing so, we are deemed by many to be arrogant. Who are we to think that we have the truth and that therefore we must share it with others? Can't we just leave other people alone in whatever faith tradition they've grown up in and be content with that? I mean, even some liberal professing Christians are buying into the notion that sincere belief in other gods or in other religions, as long as it is sincere, is good enough. Many of us grew up in an American culture that was receptive to the gospel, or at least it was not antagonistic toward it. But you and I both know that is changing, and it is rapidly changing, even in what has traditionally been called the Bible Belt. You can now get in trouble at work for trying to share your faith with a coworker. You can get fired from work for doing that same thing. College campuses that used to be a bastion of free speech where anybody could say just about anything they wanted to is no longer the case, at least as it comes to Christianity. Everything is tolerated these days except this one thing. And that is sharing our faith with a view toward changing someone's mind and heart about God. So you and I simply must understand this. We need to know ahead of time that this is not going to be easy. It is not easy for a missionary to go to another culture and live in another uh, context and have to learn the language in order to share the gospel with people there. Likewise, it is not easy for us to go to our neighbors, the people we see on a regular basis, and try to share the gospel with them. But it is something that ought to flow from within as natural for the believers, even as we understand that we're going to face difficulties as we do it. Now, I want you to see, secondly, that sharing the word is necessary for the harvest. That makes sense? It's necessary for the harvest. It is necessary for the salvation of unbelievers. They may not recognize that, but we must. In other words, if they are going to come to faith in Christ and be saved from their sins, someone has to tell them the gospel story. Paul makes this very clear in Romans. How shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? The fact of the matter is God has seen fit to use his word spoken through his people to bring about the salvation of those who are sinners. That was the way it was with the apostles. It is the way it has been throughout church history, and it is the way it remains to this present day. I know there's a lot of gimmicks and plans in order to try to lead people to faith in Christ, and some of them have some merit. But God still uses the simple plan of his children sharing with others the message of the gospel to draw people unto himself. Let's go back to our parable and change it just a little bit. Suppose there is a farmer who is having trouble producing a crop. Several years go by, and in spite of his hard work, there is no fruit. I mean, he works hard. He has all of the latest equipment, and as a Christian, he even spends countless hours praying that God would provide the ideal weather conditions. But he simply does not produce a crop year after year. So finally, a banker, his banker, pays him a visit. After all, he's now well behind on his mortgage, along with the equipment loans that he's had to get through the years, and the seed money, literally, 
the money that he's borrowed in order to purchase seed. So he and the banker sit down, and they begin to discuss what's happening on this particular farm. Now, the banker is no farmer, but he does want to help the man to make a living, to provide for his family, and obviously to pay back his loans. So he begins asking the farmer a lot of questions about what he's doing on his farm. After all, neighboring farmers are producing a crop. So what is different about this man? Why is he not able to produce a crop when everybody else is? Well, a lengthy discussion over a cup of coffee doesn't solve any of the problems. The banker can't figure out what's going on. And so he says to the farmer, why don't you give me a tour of your farm? And so they begin to walk around the farm, and the banker is amazed at the modern technology. He is uh, he's shocked by, by all that he sees there, especially what he sees when he goes into the barn. Because when he walks into the barn, there with all of the other stuff you would expect to see in the barn is a large pile of seed, still in the bags they were purchased in, never opened. And the banker says to the farmer, why is the seed all stacked in the barn? And the farmer says, well, that was hard work. I thought I could skip that step and do the other things, and I would still have a crop. Now, what would you think of such a farmer? Well, if you're the banker, you certainly wouldn't loan him any more money. If he doesn't have enough sense to sow the seed, he's certainly not going to have a crop and be able to pay you back. But what is true of that farmer is also true of many Christians. We come to church on a regular basis, and we genuinely want to see God working. We want to see people saved, and we want to see people joining the church. And yet oftentimes nobody responds, where is the harvest? We are tempted to ask. But my statement to that farmer and to many of us would be the same thing. How can we expect a harvest? when we're not sowing any seed. What is true of that farmer is equally true in ministry. In fact, Paul states it elsewhere in the area of giving, but it's a principle that goes beyond that. He says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So if we expect a harvest of souls, we must be busy sharing the word for it is necessary for the salvation of unbelievers. But not only is sharing the word necessary for the salvation of unbelievers, it is also needed for the sanctification of believers. In other words, it plays a vital role in our growth as believers. If we acknowledge the biblical truth that we are all called upon by God to share our faith, this is not something reserved for preachers or missionaries, this is something for every child of God then if we are disobedient in not doing that, that is going to hinder our growth. We seldom think of how our disobedience in this area negatively affects our relationship with Christ. Frankly, sharing the word as an individual commitment is largely ignored because we suppose that someone else is going to do it and that we're not capable of doing it. And yet in the process, we rob ourselves of the joy of seeing the fruit. You see, when that farmer begins to see the fruit of his labor culminating in a crop, there is great joy. At the same time, I can walk by a field and have no joy at all because I have no investment in the harvest. Our first church, our house was a block away and it was in the midst of a wheat field. 
I mean, literally, there was a wheat field right next to our driveway. So I saw the crop every single year. I walked past it every day. I drove past it every day. And I thought very little of it because I had no investment in it. But the farmer who was our neighbor, the man who had sweated and prayed and worked, when that harvest began to to come to fruition, it brought him joy because that was the very thing he was working for. So it's a harvest that brought one person joy and another person was indifferent about it all because of the investment or lack thereof in the harvest. So when you have invited someone to church, you've prayed for them, they finally come to church, even now as they're sitting next to you in church, you're praying that they will hear the message of the gospel and respond because you've got an investment in the harvest. On the other hand, there's many people that come to church and when the invitation's given, they're looking at their watch, they're ready to get a jump on lunch, so maybe they're even leaving early because they don't want to hang around. You know why? Because there's no investment in the harvest. You haven't been sowing the seed during the week and therefore there's no expectation that there's going to be any harvest. All I'm saying is it is necessary for the harvest, both for the unbeliever to come to faith in Christ and for the believer to grow in his relationship with Christ. But the third thing we need to see is that sharing the word is going to be negated by the world. In other words, not everyone is going to be happy to hear what you have to say. And again, we might as well understand that. Now, that's not to imply that our efforts will be fruitless. We'll see in our fourth point in just a moment that bearing fruit is inevitable. But we must acknowledge and be prepared for the fact that many people will not receive the words that we have to say. That's what Jesus, in large measure, is teaching in this parable. He tells the parable and he gives us four different kinds of soil that the seed falls upon. And as the sower is sowing the seed, or for us, as we share the word, it will fall on different kinds of hearts. Some of those hearts will be ready and receptive to the gospel, and they will respond, maybe not immediately, but eventually. But many others will be hard and cold. But we don't do ourselves any, fa- any favors by assuming We will always be well-received or that the fruit will be easy. Farmers know that it is a lot of hard work. And likewise, when we are invested in the harvest of spiritual things, we need to know it's hard work. I remember many, many years ago listening to a missionary in Wales, I believe it was, who had been there for six years. And in that six years, he said he had personally led one person to faith in Christ. Over six years of hard work on a foreign mission field. But he didn't quit, neither did his team. They kept sharing the gospel. Jesus describes three kinds of fruitless responses that we might expect. The first is what I would call an indifferent response. In the parable, some of the seed is broadcast by hand and invariably it falls along the road. That is, it doesn't get into any kind of soil at all. And that seed will simply lie there, it will not germinate, and it will likely become food for the birds of the air. The same thing occurs every spring and fall in your yard if you reseed. That is not every seed of grass that you sow is going to spring up. Some of it's going to wind up on the driveway and be eaten by the birds. In a similar manner, 
When we share the word, some will discount what we say and not believe what we have to say and want nothing to do with what we have to say. In fact, the Bible says that in such cases, Satan comes and immediately counteracts the word that we've sown in their hearts. He snatches it away through a host of tactics which end up resulting in the person caring nothing about what we've said and not desiring any kind of further conversation about the things of God. Some people are simply indifferent to the truth. The second group we notice is what I might call the insecure. These are the people who are always looking for something better. Jesus pictures this as the seed that falls on rocky ground. The insecure are always looking for another experience or another event that will satisfy. And when they hear you talk about the word of God and what it means to be saved, they will respond because they think it's the next thing that they need. And they might even respond enthusiastically with great joy. They will be the poster child, at least for a little while, about what it means to come to faith in Christ and have the joy of the Lord. But soon it will disappear. You see, they thought that coming to Christ would solve all their problems, and they're eventually going to figure out that God doesn't solve all your problems. He promises to be with your problems in the midst with you, but he never promises to solve all of your problems or make your life easy. And so when the insecure individual faces persecution or any kind of difficulty, they fall away. And it's not because they were a Christian and they've now apostatized, it's because they looked like a Christian for a little while. They, they looked like they were bearing fruit for a short season of life. But then when the heat of summer comes, they wilt away. The third group is very similar. It's what I might call the interrupted. Jesus describes some of the seed as falling amidst the thorns. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 18 tells us that thorns will grow as a result of the fall of man and the subsequent curse that God put. And therefore, it will become more difficult to cultivate a crop. Interestingly enough, that's the same word that is used of the crown of thorns that was on Jesus' head, signifying that he was bearing the fruit of the curse when he died upon the cross. When a field is neglected, it can easily and quickly become overgrown with thorns or weeds. Because they grow naturally, it's easy for them to crowd out and choke the life out of the good seed. And Jesus uses this illustration to describe those who begin well in the faith, but ultimately they are interrupted by other concerns. That is, they do not prioritize their relationship with God, and thus other things become a higher priority, and they turn away from God to those other things. Again, when they hear the word initially, they respond. They look like they are bearing fruit, but ultimately they fall away. I want you to understand that of the three groups, and people misinterpret this parable occasionally, they say uh, the three of the four are believers. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying three of the four are not believers. That is these first three types of soil. The first one's clear. I mean, they don't respond at all. But the next two respond, and they show fruit for a season, and Jesus says they're not genuine believers, because they either are interrupted by other things or turn away to other things. And so that leaves us with the last group. Spreading the word is noticed by the wise. Now, by 
saying noticed by the wise, I am not claiming that you have to be smart in order to come to faith in Christ. In fact, I think the Bible says the exact opposite. It's foolish in the eyes of many. I simply mean that God-given wisdom is necessary to understand that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. So in that sense, the wise embrace the message. So after hearing about those negative three soils that negate the word, you may be wondering, I mean, is it even worthwhile to keep sharing the word? If that many people, three out of the four soils, are ultimately going to amount to nothing, should we even keep doing it? Well, if I might use some sports analogies, I mean, if you're a baseball player, three out of ten, you're an all-star. I mean, you get three hits out of ten, and you're an all-star, and if you do that for a lot of years, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. For doing 30%, 70% of the time, you're going to make an out, but 30% of the time, you're going to get to base. Or how about basketball? I mean, a three-point shooter in basketball, I don't know the statistics on that, but I mean, probably 40% is really good, and 40%, you're going to keep throwing up those three-pointers. The coach is going to keep saying, I know you just missed a few, but keep shooting. I hear that all the time when I watch basketball games, where they say the coach just keeps telling them to keep shooting. 60% of the time, they're going to miss, and yet they keep on shooting. So we need to understand that we are going to miss in the sense that there are going to be a lot of people who don't want to hear what we have to say or who respond but eventually fall away, but that doesn't mean that we should quit sharing. Returning to our parable, does a farmer stop sowing seed because all of the seed does not find good soil and produce fruit? Of course not. Again, you know this when you plant grass seed. You're going to keep throwing it out there because a certain percentage is going to land on good soil and it is going to produce a crop. You don't focus on the seed that doesn't make it. You focus on the good seed and you keep sowing it so that it bears fruit. So this fourth soil invariably yields fruit. In fact, the surprising thing about this parable, and again, we probably miss this because of the culture in which we live, but the surprising thing about this parable is the amount of fruit Jesus talks about. 30, 60, or even 100-fold. Now, you understand that when he initially uh, told this parable, he's telling it in a culture that didn't have all the technological advances that we have now. So in that day, a, a, a fruit or a, a crop yielding six, seven, maybe even tenfold would have been tremendous. So for Jesus to say, when we sow the word, Some is going to come back 30-fold, some 60, and some 100 is a tremendous amount of fruit. Now, obviously, the fruit's going to vary. The fruit's going to vary based on where we are, what culture we live in, the the kind of thoughts that people have in that particular culture, how they were raised. We know that there's all kinds of variables. But in spite of the fact that there's only one good soil in this parable, the the fruit is tremendous. And that is what keeps us motivated to keep on sharing the word. So we've seen this morning that sharing the word ought to be natural for Christians. This ought to be the thing that just flows out of us. And it's necessary not only for the unbeliever to come to faith in Christ, but it's necessary for us as part of our growth in Christ. And then, of course, we've talked about the fact that we uh, uh, sharing the word is negated by the world 
but noticed by at least some. Now, what are we going to do with that? We have the right message. I mean, we've talked about this repeatedly in this brief series. We have the word of God. So we have the right message. We have the mandate. I don't think anybody's going to argue that the Great Commission is for all believers, at least not in this context. So we know we're supposed to do it. We ought to have the right motive, and that is the love of Christ compels us. But what we sometimes forget, the reason we make all kinds of excuses about why we can't share the gospel with somebody else, and I know there's a thousand excuses out there, but I think they all boil down to the fact that we forget that we have the right power. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus said, you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Well, what's that power for? Go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 and you'll discover that it is for sharing the word. You will receive power with the Holy Spirit so that you can go into all the world and share the gospel. When we were in New York a week or so ago, one of the places we visited was St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's one of those beautiful cathedrals, not unlike many that I've seen in Europe. I'm no student of architecture, but you can tell that it's intricate, it's detailed. Someone put a lot of effort into building this particular building. And as a result, it, it certainly wasn't easy and it's not cheap, to construct those kinds of churches. And as a result, hundreds if not thousands of people walk into that church every day of the week to see the beauty and the grandeur and the architecture and all of that. But my question is, is anybody walking in there hearing the gospel and being saved? Because that's what a church is built for. That's why we exist. We don't exist so that people can see how, how lovely we are. We exist as a church for the purpose of sharing the word so that people will come to faith in Christ. And I ask that question not of St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. I'm asking that question about Beaver Dam. Are people coming here and hearing the word and responding? I told you a couple of weeks ago that we were reviving our Who's Your One campaign. Remember we started that four years ago? It was a campaign that the Southern Baptist Convention put out and we started it and the idea was that you pick one person that you believe is not a believer, not another friend, not a friend who goes to some other church, but a, a person that by all accounts you do not believe is a believer in Jesus Christ and you begin praying for that person and you begin looking for opportunities to share the gospel with that person and then you begin sharing the gospel with them. And that campaign sort of fell apart because just a couple of months after we started it, COVID hit, and then we weren't getting out to see anybody. And so I told you a couple of weeks ago, we're reviving that. So who's your one? Do you have one? Are you praying for them? Are you looking for opportunities to share the word of God with them? A pastor friend of mine in Texas is baptizing his who's the one today. After four years, he started the campaign the same time we did. And after four years of praying for this guy, he's baptizing him this morning. And you know how I know that? Because he posted it on Twitter. Because he couldn't contain himself. Because he was so excited that this was happening, he wanted everyone to know. Now you and I won't experience that joy unless we're invested in the harvest. 
and sowing the seed. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that you have not only saved us, but seen fit to use us in your kingdom for sharing your word. And Lord, I know that we all have a hundred excuses as to why we haven't or why we can't. But I pray you would remind us today that you've given us the power through your Holy Spirit that we might share the word with those who need to hear it. May you lay upon our hearts individuals in our lives who need to hear your word. May you give us opportunities to share that word. And then when those opportunities come, may you give us the boldness and courage to faithfully share your word so that people will come to faith in you and we can rejoice in the harvest. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.